You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. It was the autumn of uh, 1912. A presidential candidate was making his way to a speech when uh, all these well-wishers were around the car. Suddenly a madman rushed the car, pulled out a revolver, and put one slug into the chest of Teddy Roosevelt. And his aides went nuts and said, we got to get you to a hospital. He said, no, I got a speech. Oh, you got to go. I got a speech. So they took him to where the speech was and he got up and he was a man that had a message. He had to give this message. And um, he opened, he said to the crowd, no, I've been shot and uh, you'll need to be a little bit more quiet. They didn't have a microphone. He just shouted. And uh, he opened his coat to take out his notes, and they saw his blood-drenched shirt, and they gasped. But he was a man with a message. He had a message, and it was fire in his belly. He had to give it. And uh, for 90 minutes, he talked, and what was interesting about the speech was it, was, it wasn't campaign rhetoric. It, it wasn't little sound bites. Uh, he spoke from his heart, and... Even his critics said, you know, I disagree with him, but I, I love his grit because he was a man with a message. Finally, after 90 minutes, he, he was about loss of color and he turned to his, his aides and he says, okay, now we can go to the hospital. He was a man with a message. Today, we continue to read from the Apostle Paul, a man with a message, and, and today the message really comes at us, and it's important, and we've got to hear it. Let's look at it. We're in the fifth chapter of Ephesians. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Last weekend, I wasn't with you because I was in Youngstown, Ohio, where I did a funeral for a woman that I dearly love. I call her my second mom. And as I wrote the message, I, I, I decided that this was her life verse. This is what she did. She followed our Lord's example and lived a life of love. Anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, it's a little saying that says you need to know what it's there for. Usually it means you go back. So we're going to go back just one verse because Jonathan covered uh, the previous section so well, I don't want to reiterate much. I just want to pick up one verse. Oh, well, uh, I'll finish this verse first. <laughs> and walk the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know what I did? I was going to read the whole scripture first and then come back and do it part by part. So let's just pretend I read the whole scripture. <laughs> All right? All right? We're good with that. Now I'm going to take it. Now that you just heard the whole scripture, now we're going to tear it apart verse by verse. Follow the Lord's example, therefore, as dear little children. Last weekend I was in, no. <laughs> therefore, what is it therefore? Well, let's go back one verse. Now I should tell you, Anytime uh, I put uh, the scripture in blue today, it's not from our text. Our text is Ephesians 5, 1 through 8, 1, 1 through 10. 
And I'll throw in other scripture and they'll always be in blue. Okay, so he says the last verse in the previous chapter, which is where he says, follow God's example. Therefore, here's what it's there for. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow Christ, follow God's example, therefore. What's he talking about? He's, he's talking about forgiveness. I, I, I shared with my photography class a while ago, when are we the most like God? And I said, well, when we love, and when we give, and when we create. But I said, I don't think we are ever more like God than when we forgive. When we forgive. And I know I'm talking to some people here who've been hurt. You've been hurt with some wounds that you don't deserve. And you might be thinking, I, I could never forgive him. I could never forgive her. And I understand. Some of these hurts are deep. And you didn't deserve it. I understand. But I want to talk a moment about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Let's start with what it isn't. Forgiveness isn't forgetting what took place. You may never forget it. Forgiveness doesn't mean you re-enter the relationship with the person that hurts you, allowing them to hurt you again. Forgiveness doesn't mean that from time to time when you think about it, you don't experience pain. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is surrendering the right to avenge. Surrendering to God the right to avenge. God said, leave room for my wrath in Romans 12. Leave room for me. It is mine to avenge, says the Lord. What we do is we give the person over to God and say, God, you saw what happened to me. I want to forgive them, but I don't know that I can, but here's what I'll do. I will give them to you, and I will trust that you will do what is best for them. I, I've got to let it go. You, you might be thinking, I can't let them off the hook. Well, you're not. If you don't forgive them, you're the person on the hook. You're the person that's getting eat up. Unforgiveness, Corey Tenboom said, is like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. When we forgive, we turn that person over to God and say, God, you deal with them. And we know we have forgiven when we can bless them, when we can wish them well. We don't dream about their house burning down, we don't dream about them in a horrific accident. And we leave them to God. I, 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 we can spend a lot of time here. We won't. But if you're struggling with that, I hope that little bit helps. If you need to talk some more, feel free to give me a call this week or one of our pastoral staff. He continues. He says, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, I love the fact that the Bible always talks about what God does before it tells us what 
we, uh, we need to do. All through scripture, we see God loving people that don't deserve it. And we hear him say to us, he wants us to join him. Let's look at a couple of those. Jesus said in Luke 6, but love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And then, and then in Matthew uh, 5, Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He asks us to love rascals, to love irregular people. <laughs> they might be in your family. It might be you, I don't know. And he asks us to love them because it could well be that the only way that person will understand the, the whole concept of grace is if you show it to them. You may be the only Bible they will ever read. They need to see the grace of Christ in you. And now we turn a corner in this passage where Paul gets really to some heavy stuff. And he says this, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Paul gets serious here. And we see that you and I have a role to play in this. In the previous chapter, I want to I show you something. In the previous chapter, it says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then it says in Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, which is essentially the same list that we're studying here in Ephesians put off, put to death. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And I want you to know, he, he doesn't lift sexual temptation from us. He doesn't. Now, there, there are some individuals, uh, and I know some, that say, when I came to Christ, all of a sudden, my vocabulary changed. I, I never swore again. That happens sometimes. Some have said, you know, when I came to Christ, I never drank another drop. I just didn't desire it. That happens sometimes. But most times, most times, they have to work with the Holy Spirit in the process of sanctification by putting off the old self and putting to death some things. Now, the Greek word he uses here for sexual immorality is pornea. And it's the word that we get porn from. And what it means is, is illicit sexual intercourse. That's what it means. You know, the 
Bible only sanctions one place for sexual expression, and that's within marriage. Meaning that premarital sexual relations or extramarital sexual relations or homosexual sexual relations misses the mark. God created sexual intimacy. The first sexual thought in the universe was on God's mind. You ever think of that? His intention was that sexual intimacy would be wonderful, fantastic, really, awesome, as a matter of fact. And he wanted it so, to be so, so he put it in the safety and security of a marital relationship. Somewhere along the line, the American church has gotten fuzzy on this. Casual sex now seems to be no big deal. Couples living together seems to be no big deal. Today, when one of us as staff are asked to do a wedding, well over 50%, I would say as high as 80% of the couples are already living together. Early in my pastoral ministry, I would say to them, you know, one of you needs to move out. Now I say, when can we get married? You want to make it right? Let's make it right. And let's make it right now. Let's get married day after tomorrow. Let's make it right. I remember one young couple in our first church, they were living together and they became Christians and they said, this isn't right. We know it's not right, but we've got a wedding plan. Our parents have invested all this money and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, let's get married. They said, well, yeah, but that would just, I said, no. Go get a friend, sign the wedding certificate. I'll sign it. Let's go down to Boardman Park and we'll get married and you can tell your parents or not. Nine months later, they got married and they didn't tell their parents. <laughs> they were married. You know, I joke about it. But I want you to know my posture here today. It's not this. I'm not pointing a finger in anger. I'm saying this with a broken heart. I don't know where. Well, I guess I do. I guess I do know where our young people are getting the idea that it doesn't matter. They can just live together. But I'll tell you what, it's not a thought from the Bible. And it's dangerous. Now there's good news in God saying, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And here's the good news. God thinks you can do that. God thinks that you can rise above your base drives and passions, that you are not the victim of your passions, but rather you are in control of them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, we must flee sexual immorality. I agree. This morning we're talking about God's truth and you'll see that it is very different than the world's truth. I know it's hard to flee sexual desires. In fact, there's no temptation that we face that is more rigorous. And it's harder today than perhaps it 
ever has been. But you know, it was equally hard in Paul's day. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Here's what Paul said do. He said, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What's Paul's advice? Flee. Sexual temptation comes, flee. Get away from it. The first time temptation rears its ugly head, flee. And this is our problem, isn't it? Because we don't. We think we can handle it. So instead of taking that first exit to flee, we stay on the road. We see how close to the cliff we can get. And before long, temptation gets stronger and stronger and stronger, and we go over. Look what James says about the anatomy of temptation. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Eve saw the fruit and she desired it. King David looked over the the palace balcony and saw his neighbor bathing named Bathsheba and he desired her. All through scripture we have stories of people being caught in their desires. Reminds me of a little song I don't think we sing with our kids anymore, but we used to. Be careful, little eyes, what you see, right? Be careful, little eyes, what you see, for your father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. What what do you allow your eyes to see? What movies do you watch? What TV shows play at your house? What internet videos do you surf when no one else is around to see? You know, America's dirty little secret is no longer a secret. Porn, porn, specifically internet porn, has become a $99 billion industry. Let that sink in, $99 billion. You know, that is more than the combined revenues of the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, National Hockey League, the American soccer, whatever that's called, that organizes professional soccer. It's, it's more than all of them combined. There are 370 million porn sites. 11 is the age most Americans see their first pornography. of all internet downloads are for porn. As I said, America's dirty little secret isn't a secret any longer. And it becomes addictive. And maybe you're there. I've got good news for you. 
Our God says you can live above it. Our God says you are not the victim of your passions. You are not at the mercy of them. But what happens to a person when they're addicted or enticed with porn? Porn changes the way people relate to others. Porn changes the way, literally, the way people think. It changes the way people act. It fills them with pervasive guilt and shame and an emptiness and a loneliness and depression. It creates emotional attachments to an artificial world. Relationships become harder and harder to maintain. It can result in erectile dysfunction many times. In fact, it's a growing concern, especially among young men. Although this isn't just a male problem. And left to run its course, it leads to divorce or legal or financial problems. Years ago, one would only find pornography in magazines. But now it's in your home. It's on your phone. It's on your tablet. It's on your computer. Remember the verse where Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Remember that verse? Well, the early church put a prohibition on anybody literally doing that. They said Jesus isn't after self-mutilation, but I think it applies here. I think we can throw away our phones. I think we can throw away our tablets or our computers. Is it worth risking eternity for? You know, it's one thing to confess sin. Lord, forgive me for doing that. It's another to say, and forgive me that I'm going to continue to do that. Now, why does God create things like this? Is it because he's God and you're not and he likes to be in charge? No. It's because sin enslaves. It's because sin becomes your master. If you're serious about repenting and confessing, some of you will need to cancel cable or change phone contracts or cancel this or that cable channel. Let me share with you a couple resources. This one is called Fortify. It's an app you can put on your iPhone. You can get it for Android, Fortify. And I want to tell you, it's fantastic. It really is. It's the best I've ever found. It's on my phone. It's the best. It's got videos. It's got teaching. It's got statistics. Um, it's just wonderful. And, and then um, there's, a, there's a, a, a web page you can go to called Fight the New Drug. You can put .com or you can put .org. It gets there either way. And this is an organization that is fighting pornography not from a religious background, not from a religious standpoint. All truth is God's truth, and they're proving this. They're, they're, they're using... Uh, real-life situations and statistics to prove that this is destructive to, to, to our lives and, and to our, our society. I would encourage you, if this is something that you struggle with, Fortify is the app for your phone. Fight the new drug for your computer. And there's Net Nanny. There's, there's um, oh, what is it, sweetheart, I've got on my computer. Um, Covenant Eyes. Um, and, and I've got this as well. Um, and, and if you're serious about coming clean 
and, and following the Lord and cooperating with the Holy Spirit, you'll do one of these. If you're not, you won't. He goes on and he says, you must not even have a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Now, impurity here can mean anything that makes us morally unclean. But in this context, he's, he's talking uh, in the area of sexual impurity. And he goes on, he says, or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. The word translated uh, in the NIV, which we just read, greed, in the King James is translated covetousness, it means wanting something that you don't have. In fact, really wanting it. And again, in this context, it, it, it implies that you want sex that you don't have or sex that you are not entitled to. And to complicate matters, Jesus says it's not just the physical act, but it's the mental fantasy that exists that you play with. Look, look what he says here. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You think, whoa, Lord, what's that about? Well, let me tell you what that's about. Illicit affairs don't just happen. They're imagined first. Murder doesn't just happen, it's imagined first. Banks aren't robbed on a whim, it's imagined first. And Jesus is saying, if we are going to get to the sin, we've got to get to its root. Holiness from the inside out. And again, the compliment to all of us is, he knows that we're capable of that. The ancient Roman world was extremely permissive sexually, more so, as a matter of fact, than what we find today. It was far worse than today. Men had lovers for pleasure, prostitutes for casual sex, and a wife for children. All of this was normal. Not a thing said or thought about it. And in Ephesus, the temple of Artemis, Existed. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it had thousands of temple prostitutes. And to worship artists and to pray to her, you would go in and have sex with one of these prostitutes. That was the religion. And so when Paul comes along and says, to you, not even a hint of sexual immorality, he is talking so counterculture. To the, to the lifestyle of his day. He goes on and he says, nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, they're not just words. They're, they're really gateway drugs that ramp up and lead us to deadlier things. And his solution Instead of, of course, joking and jesting, uh, foolish talk and, and the implication in all of these that they have a sexual nature, his solution is to be thankful, to live a life of gratitude. And then he, he really brings it hard. 
He says, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Look at that. No immoral, no impure, no greedy person has any inheritance. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. You and I have a choice to make as we live our lives. And it's this, my life, my rules, or my life, God's rules. Because you can't play it both ways. So, are you willing to risk your eternal destiny on your iPhone or your computer or your mistress or your one night stands? Every command God gives us, he gives us for three reasons. First reason is it reveals something about himself. This command, there shall be no sexual immorality among you. It says to us, he is going to be faithful to us. I did a wonderful wedding yesterday, and I said to the couple, I said, you are making the Jesus promise to one another. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's what he said to us. Every promise reveals something about God's nature. Every promise protects us from something. But among you, there must not be any hint of sexual immorality. What does it protect us from? Well, guilt, fear, shame, disease, pregnancy, divorce. You can add to that list. Every command of God tells us something about him, provide, uh, protects us from something. And lastly, the third thing, it, it provides us with something. Provides us with safety, a place to love, a clean heart, clean hands, a free spirit. He goes on, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. What that says is, if we are going to do business, there may be some relationships that have to be severed. You might have to break some things off. And he says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Look at that verse. You were once darkness, not you were once in darkness, but you were dark. But now you are light, not you are living in the light. No, you are light in the Lord. Live that way. Live as children of the light and find out what pleases the Lord. You're not your own, nor am I. We have been bought with the life and the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And now we live for him. And if you don't, I hope you will. 
And now we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit who is working his sanctifying process. Sanctifying means to make us holy or to make us more like Jesus. He's working his power in us and he will help us. But we have to do some things too. We have to put off the old self. We have to put to death part of the sinful nature. And we can. That's the good news. He thinks we can. He believes in you. And he's looking for a people who will follow and obey him wholeheartedly. We've talked about a couple things today and now we're gonna pray. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. We began this message talking about forgiveness and forgiving people who have hurt us with pains we didn't deserve. I invite you now to to go to the Father and pray about that. Maybe you have a name in mind. Would you pray? Would you give that person to the Lord? Would you turn them over and allow the Lord to deal with them? so you can be free, go ahead and pray. We talked today about putting to death our sinful nature of not even being a hint of immorality in us. I'm going to ask some of you to pray now. Some of you need to pray and ask for forgiveness and confess and ask for help. But I would also tell you that asking for help and forgiveness is hollow if you don't add some steps behind it to protect yourself, to protect you from those times when you are weak. This is your turn to pray. Now, would you please pour your heart out to God? think it would be helpful to you to talk with one of us as pastoral staff I I would encourage that I'll stick around here afterwards but you can call this week we can get together if that'd be helpful to you we're going to receive as our last act of worship the Lord's Supper together so if you want to get your communion elements ready on the night he was betrayed he took the bread and he said fellas this is my body You don't understand this now, but I'm about to be busted open, broken, killed for you. This is my body that I am voluntarily laying down for you. We understand it now. We know what he did now. So with a grateful heart, 
thankful for sins forgiven. Go ahead and eat that bread. He then took the cup and passed it. Said, this is my blood shed for you. For your sins. With a grateful heart knowing that his blood has forever separated you from your unrighteousness. Go ahead and drink that. stand now for a benediction before you go I'll remind you we have some collection boxes in the back you can put offerings in there'll be some things on the screen that will tell you how to donate via text or internet as well we thank you for your remembering that my father in heaven I pray your blessing on these I love and you love so much more I pray this week you would enable them to feel your power as they surrender over and over again to you, as they flee when necessary. I pray that you would help them to live above passion to your glory. Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friends. I love you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.